EcoHealth, your internet radio. Good afternoon and welcome here on Radio EcoHealth. It is the road trip show and we've got Diederik here with us in the studio. And uh, today we are going to carry on with the N2. And uh, yeah, Diederik was just telling me about this one dam that is uh, quite full. Quickly tell the people about that one. <laughs> Good afternoon. Hi there. Yeah, no, we've had incredible rains across the country, and if you're following any of the reports at the moment, um, you can see that Ohrabis is pumping at levels hardly seen in the last 30, 40 years or something. The Val Dam, I think, is reportedly at 110% full. But I saw an interesting report coming out of Lesotho this morning that the I think it's the Lesotho Highland Water Project or Highland Water Authority, they call themselves, okay. is reporting that the Kutsi Dam, the main storage dam that's at the heart of the Lesotho Highlands Water Project, is filling up at an uncontrollable rate, were their words. Okay. So what that means, I don't know. Whether they can't control it and it's going to overflow or can't control it and the wall's going to crack or they can't control it and... I don't know. I don't know how you could, how you control inflow into a dam, but uh, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to watch to see that one. I mean, that that dam is so big; they actually recorded seismic movement in the in the mountains of Lesotho because of the weight of the water in that dam. Yeah. So it's massive. It's beyond huge, and just going to be very interesting to see what what transpires over there in the next couple of days. Again, it's filling up for the first time in I don't know the last twenty twenty five years or something. It's filling up completely. Yeah. So that's going to be. Kind of spectacular, but I think the whole country's had awesome rain. All the dams are f- filling up nicely, so yeah, that's a good thing. That's a good thing, except for, except on the roads. People have forgotten how to drive in the rain. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they don't know how. I don't know. The people people lose their minds when the rain comes, and they still want to drive at 120, 125, and then no, yeah. you can't. <clears throat> yeah, the one day I was going to Joburg and. It came pouring down, and we drove like 40 kg uh, kilometers an hour, and we had hazards and everything on because you could not see anything. But no, yeah, it's, it's horrible, it especially, I don't know, we seem to be getting this weird misty kind of rain in Johannesburg and Pretoria yeah. as well, where so they get this whiteout, and it gets like all hazy and misty and rainy and all at the same time, and you can see absolutely nothing. <laughs> and you still get people that don't put their lights on. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. The lights are not for you to see. The lights are that other people see you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, especially white, white car and white cloud and white rain on the highway is not good. Yeah. But yeah, today I thought we'd carry on on the N2. We've still got a couple of thousand kilometers to go on the N2. We've only got out of Cape Town as far as um, Titsikama Storms River. I think we stopped at last time. Yeah. And for me, that's always seemed to be sort of the, well, depending what direction you're going, the, the start or the end of the actual garden route, as it were. That, that patch that are between Storms River and, and George is yes. what we tend to call the, the, the garden route, is when you want to get off the N2, actually go down the old, the old highway and meander down through the little river passes and uh, the beautiful forests and things. Yeah. Spend a couple of days meandering through there. But anyway, we're heading, we're heading the other direction. We're heading now um, towards the east and the first little spot that you you not really go through, but you pass sort of on the left-hand side, it's a little bit off, it's on the old R102, is a little place called Carriado. 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 I've never and heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, it is, it is um, I don't know if the right word is significant, but it is the spot where Prime Minister B.J. Foster is buried. 
Okay. Balthazar, I think it was Johannes. Balthazar Johannes Foster. Okay. And his wife. It's one of the few graves that husband and wife are actually buried together. He was our seventh prime minister. He was prime minister from 1966 to 1979. Okay. And he was at some stage minister of justice. He was minister of police. I'm sure we all remember him there as sort of the, the minister of police and security in the days of apartheid and the real crackdowns and things like that. Okay. He was a lawyer by profession, interesting character, and something that very few people know about him, he was actually interned during World War II because of activities against the Smuts government. Okay. He was, Foster was one of the people who supported the German cause rather than the Allied cause, and of course Smuts took us on the, on the side of the Allies in both World War I and oh. World War II, okay. and <laughs> South Africa had a relatively big pro-German and a little mini pro-Nazi movement. <laughs> okay. And I think that it was, it was probably more reaction of anti-British rather than being pro-Nazi, if that makes sense. You know, this oh, anti-British thing. Yes. I mean, you still see it today yeah. on, on, on a lot of the Facebook groups. The minute you mention Anglo-Boer war or graves or concentration camps, all the, all the crazies come out and, and start, start <laughs> swearing about the English, what the English did 150 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And, or 200 years ago now. But... Um, so he was actually interned because of anti-government activities. But the first part that you really get into is Jeffreys Bay. Now, Jeffreys Bay, world famous um, around for surfers. It is the yeah, surfing yeah. spot in South Africa. Yes. And the waves in Jeffreys Bay are just somehow perfect for surfing. I'm not a surfer. I don't understand the whole thing, but I, I, I think I sort of get it. But <laughs> it's interesting if you look at the geology, though, as to why particularly Jeffreys Bay. And if you – it's a simple Google search. If you go ge ge geological map Agullis, okay, you get what is called maps of the Agullis Bank. Now, the Agullis Bank is a massive underwater shelf on the southern – southwestern coast of South Africa. And it sort of starts off around St. Helena Bay, just north of um, Saldana. Okay. Stretches out in the coast, goes, goes south, and then bends back again and comes back into the coast or hits the coastline again around the area of Jeffreys Bay. Okay. So the currents that are flowing, the Agullis and the, the currents down there, hit that underwater shelf, are forced upwards and that's why you get those massive wellings oh, and waves. Okay, then. And, and the structure of the land, Jeffreys Bay, the little piece that sticks out, it's exactly where that undersea mountain hits at the, the coastline. Yeah. And that's what forms those perfect waves. Okay. So that's why Jeffreys Bay is there. Now, the, the, that Agullis Bank is notorious um, as making the sea exceptionally dangerous for ships. And yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the bigger ships have to go with a massive detour around southern Africa. They go miles and miles and miles offshore to stay off the Agullis Bank. Yeah. Because the, sometimes the waves and the crest of the waves get too high and they actually lift the centerpiece of a ship out of the water and crack the backbone of the ships. Oh, okay. Uh, that, that's <laughs> how big the waves and the swells can get sure. across the Agullis Bank. The, other, the advantage, of course, is massively rich fishing grounds because all that deep water nutrients are forced up onto the shelf. Yeah. And that's what makes our fishing waters so rich down off, off that southwestern Cape Coast. <clears throat> in Jeffreys Bay, there's actually a very, very cool surfer statue. I don't know if anybody has ever seen that one before. It's actually a very, very cool little statue. It's this stylized surfer 
and then you've got in concrete actual waves oh, made, okay. made of concrete behind this guy. It's just, it's just a really, really cool, very artistically done statue. And, and the other interesting spot in Jeffrey's Bay is a, is a beautiful shell museum. And it's a world-renowned shell museum. It's got some really, really unique examples. It's got, for example, it's got a, a thing called a paper, a paper nautilus. Paper nautilus. A paper nautilus, which is it's a relative of the octopus, oh, and okay. the shell is a tiny. It's a it's a, it's called paper nautilus because the shell is so delicate. It's a thin, thin white shell, beautifully structured with little contours and little stripes and lines on it. And then this, this little animal lives in it. It's got all sorts of tentacles that stick out the stick out the front. Okay. And um, it regulates its depth by pumping water in and out of the shells because it's got like little chambers. So if it wants to go down, it pumps water into the chambers and it sinks, and it wants to get go oh, up again. Okay. It sucks water out and it goes and it goes up. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. <laughs> so very cool. Again, I can recommend it. Go go Google paper nautilus and have a look at this little animal. It's a fantastic little animal, hmm. and. A lot of researchers from around the world have come down to Jeffreys Bay in order to come and actually have a look at that shell museum. Just, just off the N2, though, is a little town called Hankey. As you're going down the N2, you've got Jeffreys Bay on the right-hand side. You're seeing the ocean. But up in the hills on the left-hand side is a tiny little town called Hankey. Okay. And... What makes that one a little bit unique is that's where the grave is of Sarah Bartman. Oh, okay. Now, Sarah Bartman has become quite an iconic name, stroke, personage, stroke, icon in South Africa because she was called the Hottentot Venus. Hottentot. She lived between 1789 and 1815, and she was born in that area in the Hamtuas Valley. But she was sold. She was captured as a slave and sold by a Scottish um, doctor, a guy by the name of Alexander Dunlop. And she was taken <laughs> to London. Okay. And she was actually displayed as a unique specimen, for want of another, another word, because of her unique physiology. Okay. Um, so Sarah Bartman... Called Hottentot, obviously that name is now no, 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 no longer in use. You are now San or Khoisan. Yeah, yeah. And the name Hottentot is now regarded as a bit of a denigrating type of word. Yes. But the San and the, and the Hottentots at that stage have a condition called steatopygia. And that is the ability to store fat in your buttocks. Oh, So okay. in good times, the buttocks get extremely big. Ah. And she was displayed now because of this particular physical feature. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> okay. Looking back at it 120 years later, it, it, it's, it's really, really weird. But anyway, yeah. but she was, she was in London. British abolitionists took her cause to heart. They tried to get her free. They wanted to send her back. She refused to go. She liked it in London. And, it, and it be, oh. she became a bit of an icon on, the, on that whole thing. And... Um, she was even examined by a guy by the name of George Culver, who was a professor of comparative anatomy at the Museum of Natural History in Paris. Okay. And Culver actually dissected her body and put parts of her on display. So oh, really, really strange story. And a couple of years back, um, South government requested that her remains be sent back to South Africa. Even President Mandela got involved in that story. And eventually oh. her... 
Her remains were sent to South Africa, and she was eventually buried back in Hankey in uh, 2002. Oh, okay. (laughs) Wow, that's interesting. It's a kind of weird, creepy kind of story. But uh, such such were the times and such were the days of um, sort of the 1800s and stuff. Yeah. But then as you're carrying on just outside of Jeffreys Bay, the first major bridge and stuff you get to is the Van Stadens Bridge. It's one of the big five concrete arch bridges on what's considered, you know, that, that garden route section. Yeah. But the Van Stadens Bridge has got a rather nasty um, reputation because it's called the Bridge of Death. Oh, okay. <laughs> and... It's not a cool nickname, but it comes from the fact that a lot of people choose to commit suicide off that bridge for whatever reason. Okay. And Yeah, that is weird. It's, it's just, just outside of PE. It's just outside of PE, so it's a relatively easy place to get to. And every time I've driven over that bridge, there's little bouquets of flowers and stuff stuck to the rails and little crosses and memorials stuck oh. on this bridge. So she was not lacquer. And you can use the old, the old R102 and go down through the Storms River Pass. And I went, I've been down there once or twice. And strangely enough, you've, uh, you actually see, I hesitate to use the word, but little altars and things down on the rocks with pentagrams and triangles and things and remnants oh. of candles and things down on the rocks okay. at the bottom of this of the Van Stadens River Pass. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, th- I think I'll give that bridge a skip then. <laughs> so... Not, not, not that cool. Not no. that cool. Not that cool. Uh, I think there must be a lot of spooks. I, th- I think there's a lot <laughs> of spooks down in the, down in, in in that in that river pass. It is. It's yeah. a very shady, very dark, dark, very steep river pass. But your next, the next major major town. I mean, you're right now on the outside outskirts of um, Port Elizabeth, Kaberga. I'm going to say that once. I'm not going to try and say it again. <laughs> 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 All these name changes. All these the, name changes. Oh, my word, it's ridiculous. Uh, there's, 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 there's quite a lot to actually see and do in, in PE, and it's got, it's got a pretty cool museum. It's got a thing called Bay World Museum Complex. It's got a nice little natural history museum, kind of an aquarium type of spot there as well. You got the South End Museum. An interesting spot though is this place called Fort Frederick. Just on the Beacons River or Barkens Rafir. We've spoken about the Barkens Rafir. Yeah. The yeah. Barkens, the VOC beacon, stating that that's how far the VOC had explored. Yeah. Now, 1799, now you can imagine there is nothing. Yeah. There's zip. 1799, <laughs> and it's the first permanent military base in the, in the Cape Colony's eastern frontier. So. They put it on the on the on the heights commanding this little river, make it makes easily easily defensible. But you can just think, seventeen ninety nine. There's nothing. That's it. You're yeah, a couple of soldiers nothing. in this little fort, parking off, defending the really outer boundary of of the then Cape Colony. It's open to the public. You can go and have a look at it. You can drive around. In PE itself, I mean, your normal city tour goes. You visit the Horse Memorial. That famous statue of the horse with the soldier kneeling down in front of his horse, giving it some water out of his helmet, oh, dating yes. back to the Anglo-Boer War. <clears throat> and that's, the inscription to me is always a good one. I, I, I take this one out of memory, so don't 
don't hit me if I if I get a word or two wrong. But on the on the the statue, it says something in the line of the greatness of a nation cannot be measured in the extent of its territories or the size of its population, but rather in the goodness and compassion it shows towards its animals. Okay. In that line. Okay, I've, de- yeah. I've definitely got one or two words wrong there, but it's a really, really cool statue that you drive past there. And then the other, other, one of my other favorite spots in PE is a little place called Donkin Reserve. Now, the Donkin <laughs> Reserve is named after Sir Rufain Donkin. Sir Rufain Donkin was governor of the Cape, and he was the governor of the Cape at the, at the time of the arrival of what we call now the 1820 settlers, and we'll get into the 1820 settlers just now. But he was sent out from Britain and um, with his wife, and unfortunately his wife died while they were en route. Oh, and okay. He erected this monument in, in PE. It's, 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 a, it's a great big stone pyramid. It's about 10, 10 meters, 11 meters high. Okay. And there's a beautiful inscription on, on, this, on this little pyramid. And I used to do the, play a little trick with my clients on the coach tours. It's part of your stock standard um, city tour. You know, you go and look at the monuments and you go past City Hall yeah, and you, yeah. you visit a couple of the prominent <laughs> places in PE. And I'd stop there and I'd, I'd tell all the, all the ladies to stay seated in the bus. And then I'd say to all the gentlemen, off you lot go. Go and find that inscription, read it. And I hope that you all f- feel the same way about your wives. <laughs> so, of course, the, everybody's now interested. All the ladies are really, really getting stressed because now yeah. I want to go and see this. And I tell them all to sit down and chase all the, all the husbands out. <laughs> so they would all go run to this thing going, oh, what, 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 have, what have I got into here? Yeah. Anyway. Then eventually I'd said the, give the guys like five minutes and then I'd let all the ladies out and say, okay, go and, go and have a look. And I said, I hope your husbands feel this way. <laughs> anyway, now the inscription reads, to the memory of one of the most perfect of human beings who has given her name to the town below. So okay. that's where Port Elizabeth comes from. So Rufane Duncan's ah. wife, Elizabeth, who died en route, he christened the bay Port Elizabeth when the arrival of the 1820 settlers. Okay. But anyway, the one day, the, 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 the gentlemen are back in the bus, and the ladies come back now, and, some, and one lady, as she gets up the stairs, calls down the passageway, darling or, or, or dearie, um, when are you going to build me my pyramid? <laughs> out of the back of the bus comes... Wait till tonight, my dear. <laughs> well, that was the bus finish for about an hour. <laughs> but that set the tone for a really, really good tour for the rest of the day. Oh, as yeah. be, the bus was in absolute hysterics. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Wait till tonight, my dear. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so PP does have a, have a lot more to offer than that. So we'll just we'll skim through and maybe we can spend one program actually doing PE and on its on its own. The other interesting spot just up the road from PE is what used to be called um Newtonhaig, which is now oh, yes. a town called Carriga. And for the car for the car fanatics, Volkswagen, it's the main Volkswagen plant. In South Africa, the Volkswagens get put together in Newtonhagen. And the VW actually have what they call the VW Auto Pavilion. Okay. And it's got the entire history of VW production in one museum. So right from oh, the old wow. Beatles to all, nice. all the different models of VW and stuff are, 
uh, are visible there. They've got little driving simulators, and then you can go into the futuristic type of cars and all that kind of stuff sitting sitting there in oh, that's nice in Utenay. So that that's a really really cool cool little visit. Oh, you got the old railway station museum. You got one of the old Drosty um, museums there as well. So those those little areas, Uten Hague does have quite a bit to offer. But if you're now heading out on the N2, the very next place, you actually skirt you skirt down the southern side of the Addo Elephant National Park. The Addo Elephant National Park was a tiny little reserve. And the Addo Elephants have got, a, again, quite a unique story. In the 1920s, I think it was, they were almost hunted to extinction. Okay. Because it's, on, it's in the Sundays River Valley. And the Sundays River Valley is perfectly suited to citrus fruit. Yeah. Oranges and all sorts of stuff there. And, of course, the elephants like oranges. Yeah. So they would come and they'd raid the farmers' orchards and little mini war erupts. And the elephants used to come out at night and raid the orchards and then disappear into that thick bush. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been to Addo. But that bush is so incredibly thick, you literally can't see two feet in front of you. Sure. So once the elephants are in there, they're gone. Eventually the farmers come and they, they hire a guy, a guy in a Pretorius, to come and shoot the elephants. And eventually he, he did a pretty good job of doing it. And at some stage, only like 20 or 30 of these elephants left. Eventually uh, the okay. government stepped in, created a little national park. But over the last couple of years, there's been a massive expansion of the Addo Elephant National Park. It used to be a, just basically a park for elephants, and you'd see very little else there. But yeah. right now, the big five are back there. They've expanded it. They've got it all over the place. The Zürbach Park has joined on to it, and it's becoming a really, really world-class destination. Okay. And one of their taglines is it's only one of the only places in the world that you can actually see the big seven. <laughs> so you've got the big five, yeah. but now you've got the big seven, and they consider great white shark and whales now to be number six and seven. Ah, so okay. that, that's yes. kind of unique in that part of the world. And that makes it, the, Addo, the Addo is a very, very special, very, very special place. Yeah. It is a really nice um, little, little, little stop. Then, as you're now heading out of the end two, we've got the Karl Lundmann Monument. We spoke about our oh, Karl Landmann. Remember yes. him, the beautiful world, you know, globe with the, with the ox wagons over the whole of Southern Africa. Yes, yes, yes. Pretorius II in command of the Battle of Blood River. He comes from that part of the world. And we, there we touched on this hundred years worth of warfare that, that, that raged in that part of the world, all what they call the frontier wars. So yeah. we're now heading into that, what they, it's called the frontier area. It's called 1820 settler area. So that entire Eastern Cape area went through a lot of drama in the sort of 1830s, right, under the early 18, late, late 1700s, right up to 1870s, 1880s. Constant warfare, raids, land disputes, you know, farm burnings, cattle raids, all sorts of drama, which is one yes. of the main reasons for the eventual um, Great Trek, yeah. 1834 to 1838. So Karl Lundmann comes from there. Um, we also spoke about the grave of Non Kause the other day, the great cattle killing and the Kozas ah, yes, yes. of, of um, 1856. That's also, well, it's slightly off the end too, but it's one of those interesting spots that you can get to. And your next major spot that you really get into there is Makanda or Grahamstown. Oh, yeah. Now, Gra Grahamstown 
is one of the spots that is really associated with the 1820 settlers. Now, the 1820 settlers is exactly that. 1820, 5,000-odd British settlers come into South Africa. Okay. Now, Great Britain had just come out of the Napoleonic Wars. They were having issues with unemployment and, 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 and big social issues. So there was an, a period of a lot of expansion of, 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 British, of British influence around the world. Yeah. And the people in the Cape Colony thought, hey, you know what, we're sitting here with this land dispute, border issue, constant warfare. What happens if we bring a whole lot of people in and settle them on farms and create a buffer zone of stable farmers yeah. in this area? Okay. So as a... Um, Concept. I don't think you can, you can, you can re really, really sort of work against it. But what do these guys do? They bring in blacksmiths and they bring in carpenters and they bring in, you know, they bring tradesmen in. Yeah. Duncan literally meets them on the beach in PE, shakes their hand, says welcome. You know, these guys have just come through the surf. They're soaking wet in the little whaling boats. <laughs> yeah. They get dumped on the on the beach with their possessions. They get given a map and told, there's your farm. There you go. <laughs> and <laughs> they were allowed to hire some tools from the government. So they were allowed to hire a spade and a pick and an axe and a saw and this kind of stuff. Oh, they were basically word. left to their own devices and said, well, there's your farm. Go and find it and go and do stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, in, in, in <laughs> it, it didn't work. Not hard to work it out. It doesn't work. Yeah. So... Eventually, you know, a lot of these guys then gravitated back towards the cities and back towards the towns. And that is what actually gave Grahamstown its impetus to become a major city and a major town in that entire zone. Because they had all these artisans and people coming back yeah. and actually settling in the town. So, as you're coming into, into Grahamstown or Makanda, the first thing you see is a big statue of the 1820 settlers. There's this woman in the little bonnet and stuff standing up next to a big conference center that they've built there. Okay. And you, you, you can sort of get there, but an interesting, an interesting little aside on that statue, it was actually painted at some stage. It was painted in ochre. I mean, he has a bronze statue. Some guy bothers to go and paint this thing in ochre uh -huh. to try and indicate that, that they were being Africanized. Oh. I haven't quite got okay. that. I don't quite get, get that entire concept. But, uh, you know, but it, it's an indicator to that area. You're now in 1820 settlers, settlers um, country. Grahamstown has got an awful lot to offer. Just beside the university, it's one of our better universities in Grahamstown. It's a real university town. And a, a large part of the town is dominated by the campus. And obviously there's a lot of student residences and students yeah. and a lot of student yeah. activity in town. But... It was, Grahamstown goes back already as a little settlement and stuff right back through to about 1811. But it was named after a Colonel Graham who actually used it as a, little, as a military base during those early, early years, 1811. Yeah, Eventually a fort gets built there, 1830s, 1840s, a little fort gets built, gets Get, gets built there, a place called Fort Selwyn. You can actually go, go visit it. 
He was uh, a captain, Charles Selwyn of the Cape Corps Royal Engineers, who was put in charge of building this fortification. And it was protect the town, but also just to um, give it water supply, because where it's situated, it actually dominates the little ravines and rivers that flow down into the town. So they know nobody could muck about okay. with the with, with the water supply. And it became a a pretty well organized little place. It had a semaphore system. I don't even know what a semaphore is. It's that little mirror where you can flash Morse code. Oh, yeah. And there was a yes. whole string of forts built in that area um, so that the forts could communicate with each other. So you got a, you know, a, a Fort Beaufort and you got a Fort Petty. And these guys were on little hills and they were signaling each other with a semaphore system. So the semaphore okay. system got, got put up in Grahamstown. There used to be a gun, naval gun, that was fired there every day, very much like the gun in Cape Town every day. I think oh, it was yes, 9 so o'clock or something in the morning, the gun in, in Grahamstown would be, would be fired. But... Uh, that's now, that's now part of the museum. It's now part of the Albany, Albany Museum. In Grahamstown, this town, you've got the oldest letterbox in South Africa. The oldest letterbox. <laughs> I don't know if anybody still uses the post. I don't think I've posted a letter for 20 years now. Yeah. But uh, the oldest letterbox <laughs> is in, it still date, dates back to 1859, believe it or not. Sure. There should be a little plaque on there with the VR for Victoria Regina or Queen Victoria. But uh, that thing got stolen a little while ago, unfortunately. When it gets posted, when you, if you post a letter from that box, it supposedly gets a unique stamp, much like the little shoe box in Mossel Bay. Oh, we yes. We spoke about the, the post box in Mossel Bay. That was the site where the, guy, the sailors used to swap letters and put them under the rocks. Um, yeah. This letter box in Grahamstown has got the same system, where if you post something in that box, you get a unique postal stamp, stamp on it. Okay. <laughs> Then on the main street of Grahamstown, you've obviously got the 1820 Memorial. And that is, um, yeah, that, that's the whole existence, reason for the existence yeah. um, of, of the town. And much like in Franzhoek, you get the, the French Huguenots that have contributed so many family names to South Africa, the Dutois and the, yeah. you know... The, Fourie, etc. Those are all French names. So most, a lot of the English descendants in South Africa tra- can trace their names back to the 1820 settlers yeah. who arrived in in the in in the colony. You also got the centenary r- memorial in Grahamstown. That was unveiled by General Jan Smuts in 1912. So ni- 1811, 1812 is considered the birth of Grahamstown, and. Uh, that's the actual spot where Lieutenant Colonel Graham decided on the present situation of the town okay. in, in 1812, 1811, 1812. I think there's still a bit of dispute. A lot of people say 1812. I've also seen 1811. So we'll take it as 1812 because it was unveiled in August 1912. Shall we go listen to a little bit of music before we get back into it? Cool. I think let's do that. She's a little runaway Daddy's calling fast Okay, and we are back on the road trip show. Quickly took a small little break, and we are back. And we are continuing with Oatswaring. Oatswaring? 
Grahamstown. Grahamstown. is way in our review mirror. Where did I get that from? But we're on the, we were chatting about that Centini Memorial. And an interesting little story on that one is there's a little plaque there commemorating a lady by the name of Elizabeth Salt. Okay. And in 1811 is what is called the Battle of Grahamstown. Yeah. That's when the Clausas attacked the British who were encamped there. And it wound up in a British victory. But there was a lady there by the name of Elizabeth Salt who actually ran through the battle lines. Yeah. On her own. I'm on word. And she was bringing ammunition for the British troops. Wow. Okay. She ran through the Klaza battle lines and brought ammo for the British troops, and the Klazas did not touch her for whatever reason. <laughs> Elizabeth Salt, the little plaque there. She's one of, one of the sort of weird unknown stories that very few people have no, ever heard no. about. But, I mean, in extreme bravery. I mean, you're running on your own yeah. through several thousand warriors intent on wiping out the British, and here you go carrying ammo to go and help them. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I would uh, swallow myself if I have to do that. <laughs> no, but um, Grahamstown is, is, is full of military memorials. It's got an incredible um, mili- military history behind it. And the in the middle in the middle of town is a is a is a, is a beautiful is a beautiful um, big church as well, which is which is worth going into the Saint the, the Saint Michael and Saint George Cathedral, and it's home it's home to the um, Anglican Diocese of Grahamstown. It's the seat of the Bishop of Grahamstown of or now Makanda. Okay. It's actually got the tallest <coughs> church spire in South Africa. At 54 meters high. Oh, so wow. it's a really, really beautiful, beautiful building, and founded 1825, consecrated 1850, eventually completed in 1952. So it took an awfully long time to build this damn thing. Yeah, it sounds like it. And the the the, the church, if you go inside, it's full of of old battle honors and unit colors and you know it's almost like you transported into the uk oh okay. in this in this cathedral yeah. if, it, if it's open you actually got to got to go in and go and have a look at it and it's 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 awe inspiring it's an yeah. absolutely stunning 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 building to go and to go and visit there the the other spot that you got to go and have a look at when you're in grahamstown or in makanda is what's called the observatory museum now, it was a house that belonged to a guy by the name of Henry Galpin. Galpin was a renowned scientist, doctor type character. And him and a compatriot of his, a guy by the name of Dr. William Atherstone, were the people who identified the first diamond in South Africa. Oh, okay. Now, if you go to. Kimberley and you sit in that display in Kimberley on the historical significance of the mines and what diamonds did, etc., etc., you'll yeah. hear the story of how this diamond was found by a traveling salesman, a peddler, a guy selling snake oil yeah. to the farms. 
and he found this little boy playing with a shiny stone. And no one thought anything about it, and he picked it up and wanted to give the boy something, and the guy just said, no, have it. And he brought it, and someone else found it, and then it passed on to somebody else, and eventually somebody thought, hang on, let's just see what this thing is. And they thought it was a diamond. They sent it to Grahamstown, and it was identified as a genuine diamond. Now, you're talking about a nice-sized rock yeah, as a diamond. Yeah. So, of course, everybody goes stupid. <laughs> and that's when they realized the, the diamond fields around the Orange River and Kimberley actually got discovered and identified by this crowd now in Grahamstown. Yeah. So the Observatory Museum is is the house of this of, 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 of Henry Galpin. But what makes it unique is it's got a camera obscura in the roof. And a camera obscura is this little like kind of watchtower thing where you can sit and you've got like this big I don't know call it a wok or scottle okay like a scottle yeah painted white but in the roof you've got like a periscope okay and a little system of mirrors and stuff and you can turn this periscope and the the picture from outside gets projected now down onto the scottle oh wow okay (laughs) so you can stand there in this little tower and you can turn this 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 the, the periscope and you can see what's happening outside on the street. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> and there's actually very few of them in the world. I think there's one, in, there's one I think, in Cape Town. There's one here in Grahamstown. There's one, apparently, in Edinburgh. And there's like five of them around the world or something. That's it. And Grahamstown has actually got one of these little camera obscuras in the observatory museum. So it's, it's, it's really kind of cool to get in there and go and have a look at that. Oh, that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> So Grahamstown has got a lot to offer. Obviously, there's the there's the yearly arts festival and stuff that happens in Grahamstown. There's yeah. cultural things that happen in Grahamstown. So Grahamstown does have an awful lot to offer. Just outside Grahamstown, you've got Bathurst. Remember we spoke about Bathurst and the giant pineapple? Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> <The giant laughs> That's just down the pineapple. road there as well. <laughs> and... Um, In Bathurst, as well, is the oldest continuously licensed pub in South Africa, claiming a date of 1832. They've consistently sold booze since 1832, called the Historic Pig and Whistle in Bathurst. (laughs) That wants to be be done. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're heading out on the N2. And now, for the first time, we spoke about this character, Dick King. I don't know if you remember Dick King from Durban. Yes, yes. There's the statue of Dick King at the harbour of Dick King on his horse. And 1842, the British attack what is now Durban, was then Port Natal, and they now want to take it over from the foot trekkers. The foot trekkers besiege the British in their fort. Dick King sneaks out of there and rides from Durban all the way to Grahamstown. Oh, yes. Okay. Now, that is 960 kilometers. Sure. Yeah. On and, he did, and he did that, I think, in 10 days. Gee whiz. <laughs> in order wow. to come and get reinforcements from the then Grahamstown to come and help lift the siege in Durban. Yeah. And just outside of Grahamstown now, you can actually see the first memorial to Dick King and okay. that ride. 
Wow. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> if you go if you go onto the road trip app and you use the search function and you put this Dick King into the search function, you'll see this little dot, the little line of dots, all the way from Grahamstown through up to Durban, oh, as yes. to where all those little memorials are. Wow. <clears throat> and the one spot that okay, we we've missed slightly. I mean, it's not quite on the end too. But um, you got a little port. You got a little town of Port Alfred. Oh yes. And Port Alfred again. You're looking at British settler, 1820 settler country. There's a little memorial to them there on the river where they actually crossed the crossed the river to go and look for their farms and settle, help settle that entire area. Yeah. So, and. Um, then you've also got a little museum in Port Alfred. Again, lots of seashells and stuff, but also some really nice stuff there on the 1820 settlers. Okay. Now we're heading out into real um, frontier land. You're getting into a little town of Petty. Now you, you again, you're going into some of the old homeland area. So we're now on the Great Fish, Great Fish River, the Fish River. All of those, those were at some stage a boundary between the Cape Colony and the Cosas, and then the boundary moved this way, boundary moved that way. You know, huge, huge yeah. instability. <laughs> so a lot of this area is where the, the, um, the Great Trek originated from. So you've got Petty, and then the next, the next little town you get into now is the old um, King Williamstown. Oh, yes, King Williams. King Williamstown. <clears throat> and one of my favorite spots, again, in King Williamstown is the Amatoli Museum. Okay. It's a very nice little natural history museum. It's got a little bit of local, cultural, historical value as well. But its claim to fame is that Huberta the Hippo... Oh, yes. (laughs) I remember. ...is in King Williamstown. (laughs) Now, Huberta was that hippo hippo that started up somewhere in St. Lucia and decided to go walkabout. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And became this media celebrity, started walking, went through Durban, caused chaos, went through gardens, broke down fences, lay on the railway line at some stage. The train had to stop while Hubert <laughs> was originally called Hubert, by the way. Yeah. Until they discovered it was a female, then they changed Hubert to Huberta. <laughs> 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 and. Became an absolute celebrity. I mean, you, again, you're talking about a 1,200-kilometer walk or something that this hippo decided to do. Yeah. No one knows why, how come, what for. Just suddenly suddenly decided to upstakes and go walk about. And it got <laughs> followed by the press and became an absolute media celebrity. It got it was proclaimed royal game at one point. Oh, so yes, no yeah. one was allowed to harm it, except, of course, now some idiot farmers at some stage decide to shoot this hippo. Yeah. I don't think they knew it was Huberta. They just saw a hippo in their fields and they and they, they, they shot the thing. Yeah. And uh, they were arrested. They realized what it was. Eventually, they tried to throw their guns away and they threw the guns in the river. But uh, the cops worked out who it was. And, yeah. And then eventually, um, Huberta got, got sent away, got taxidermists, got hold of her. And now she's come back because she was shot in a river just outside of King Williamstown. Yeah. The... The other spot of historical significance in King Williamstown is Steve Biko's house. Oh, yes. Now, Steve Biko was one of the more noisy and vociferous anti-apartheid activists. 
and he started um, the, what they called the Black Consciousness Movement during the late 1960s and 1970s. And he was the guy that died in police custody. Okay. And became yes. one of the anti-apartheid um, icons. So his house is there. You can visit visit that in King Williamstown. There's a little garden of remembrance to him there as well in the bottom end of town. So you can go look at that. Again, in King Williamstown, another Dick King memorial. In fact, I think this is the only part of the country where Dick King takes over from the 1838-1938 Great Trek commemorations. Yeah. Every other every other town has got got Great Trek stuff. All the little towns in the Eastern Cape have got um, <laughs> <laughs> Dick King <laughs> Dick King memorial. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word! Okay. <laughs> and an interesting one outside there as well is what we call the Bisho Massacre Memorial. Bisho Massacre. The Bisho Massacre Memorial, September 1992. Bisho was the capital of the old homeland called the Siskai. Okay. Don't know if you remember the homeland system. Yeah. These these areas were declared as independent states within the state of South Africa. And the entire idea was that everyone of color would be a citizen of a homeland rather than of South Africa. So they would be citizen of Siskai, Transkai, Baputatswana, KwaZulu, whatever it was. Oh, yeah. And so that South Africa, that the electorate in South Africa would stay white and no black would have voting rights in South Africa. So that was the concept. Obviously, it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. But there was a protest march there. In, 19, in 1992, you're talking just prior to elections, hugely volatile time in South Africa. Yes. They were demanding that the Siskai be reincorporated into South Africa. And, of course, the thing got out of hand. And um, there's a bit of controversy about this particular incident because a lot of high-profile ANC people were on site right there. So it became a media circus yeah. rather than a proper protest as such but anyway I mean you're looking you're looking at ANC ANC leaders Harry Guala was there Cyril Ramaphosa was there Ronnie Cazals was there you know so these high profile yes. guys are leading this um, this protest and of course the police are provoked the thing goes completely wrong and 28 people wind up being shot and about oh. 200 people are, are injured yeah. in that event so Huge question marks about the conduct of the police, but again, also question marks on the conduct of the riots or the rioters or the leaders. Did they provoke it and use it as a media event prior to yeah, the... Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's again, now we're talking politics. Yeah. So we, we'll <laughs> leave that alone. But there's that. There's the memorial just outside Bishu on that one as well. <clears throat> so King Williamstown, unfortunately, is a, it is a beautiful old colonial town. It is, however, being not not greatly managed by the local municipality, so it's become a bit dirty and a bit scrappy. Yeah. And you know, you don't you don't really sort of want to want to go in there. Yeah. Your next your next major stop on the N two now is you're going to head into East London. But what for me is such an interesting part of that is that you're now heading into an area with a whole lot of weird German names. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a funny one. 
Because you've got a Berlin, you've got a Stutterheim, you've got a Hamburg, you've got all of these. Suddenly you're coming out of British territory with Bathursts and yeah, you know, yeah. all the real <laughs> English names. You've traveled a bit further now, suddenly you're hitting all these German all names. German names, yeah. <laughs> and most of those German names are, are towns that got incorporated into, into what used to be the Siskai. So those towns are gone. I mean, I'm picking up a Berlin, I'm picking up a Stutterheim, you know, all these weird little places. Yeah. Hanover, there's a Hanover down the road there. And an interesting story is that in 1857 was the, the Crimean War. You now got Great Britain, Russia involved in the Crimea. Ah, okay. Okay, now you're asking how does this connect to German names <laughs> in South Africa? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were German mercenaries who fought on the side of Great Britain. Oh, okay. And part of their package was that should they survive the war and should Britain win they will be given a farm in Africa. Oh, lovely. As part of their pay packet. <laughs> so at the end of the Crimean War, these Germans get shipped out to South Africa. We're now talking 1858, 1859. Yeah. All these Germans arrive. They get dumped on the beach like the 1820 settlers. You're now talking 30 <laughs> years later. Now the Germans get dumped there and get given farms and stuff. In the Eastern Cape. And that's where yeah. all those German names come from, because those, those German mercenaries who came out to South Africa. Yes. And in, a little, again, a little interesting, interesting aside there is you'll also notice an awful lot of Irish names. Because yeah. the German volunteers or German mercenaries came out as, as, as bachelors. <laughs> they settled their farms, and they then sent a little letter to the governor saying there's a distinct lack of women. <laughs> and um, marriage possibilities, and we're kind of lonely. Can you please do yeah. something about this? <laughs> okay. So the governor goes, okay. <laughs> and out of this mix pops up a shipload or two of Irish ladies oh, who yeah. decided to flee Ireland. Ireland, again, you're talking impoverished areas. You're talking famine, you know. Yeah. And they decide they'll take a chance. And a shipload or two of Irish ladies then arrives in... East London, yeah, and match up with the German farmers, <laughs> and there's the start of a <laughs> of a new community in our Eastern Cape. Oh, lovely! <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> so, when you drive that area and you look at some of these names that are out there, it's just yeah. It's just, I, I just I just love I just love that stuff. Mengelmus. That's a complete Mengelmus. Absolute complete <laughs> Mengelmus. <laughs> and again, you've got all sorts of um, war memorials in East London. The most interesting part of East London for me, though, is um, the East London Museum. When you go there, and it's the commemoration of the um, discovery of the celiacanth. The what, the what not? The celiacanth. The uh. celiacanth being that weird fish from, I speak under Christian, I don't know, 600 million years ago. It's found in fossils. Oh, yes. And one day a trawler brings the catch back and there was Professor Smith from the East London Museum used to go down to the harbour and look at the fish to see what was being brought out. I mean, perfect specimen catching time. Yeah. And this fish then suddenly gets identified that everybody in the world thinks is, is, is extinct and gone and is only a fossil. Yeah. And suddenly here lies this thing in PE and gets identified as the as the celiacanth. 
Okay. And then suddenly the whole world goes into uproar at this massive scientific discovery now of um, of this extinct fossil fish. <clears throat> and that happened here in in East London. And the other interesting other interesting thing there is a, is a funny little memorial called the Dolos Breakwater Block Memorial. Oh. Don't know if okay. you know what a Dolos is. No. <laughs> a Dolos is, 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 an, is an old part of an ox wagon. But a guy who, who worked, a guy by the name of um, Mr. Merrifield, worked for the East London Harbour Authority. And they've got massive issues with breakwaters and the strength of the currents and things. And they were looking at how to build a wall that could ab- absorb the force of the ocean. Yeah. And he then designed this thing now called a Dolos. And if you can think of it, something in the shape of a T, and then another T at right angles to it. Ah, okay. And when you dump these things in, into each other, they, they interlock because oh, of those yes. spines yes, that are all yes. over the place. And <clears throat> it's a world-famous design now for breakwaters all around the world, and that was designed and invented by a harbor engineer from P.E., or from, from East London, rather. Okay. And, that, and they, they've got a little memorial there to the guy. Now, what the, again, one of the most amazing things is that, um, you know, he's, he's the designer and the inventor of this fantastic world-famous gadget, and he got nothing for it, for yeah. his patent, because he worked for someone who wasn't his own. He, the design yes. belonged to the engineering uh, department that he worked for. Oh, that's... Uh, <laughs> I don't even know if you got to give it a bonus for it. <laughs> <laughs> I see we are out of time already. We are again. indeed. Goodness we are gracious indeed. me. Okay. But yeah, that was once again very interesting. Yeah, well, I hope they did give him a bonus for that one. Because <laughs> yeah, um, I think uh, then the Strand, where was it? Yeah, Strand. No, it wasn't Strand. It was somewhere else. But you can also see those things. On the yeah, no, they're all over the place now. Every over. single harbour in South Africa uses them. They've gone all over the world. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, the guy, the guy did an amazing, amazing job with it. <laughs> awesome. Okay, Diedrich. Well, once again, thank you very much for coming in, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next week again. Absolutely. Maybe we continue on the end too. We're now heading up through into Durban. I think the next stop will be so. Yeah. Let's let's see so. let's see how far we get. Okay. Cool stuff. Awesome. Thanks again. Ooh. Boy, that's what they call